It's Monday, which means it's time for your favorite show, Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, coming to you from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, broadcasting worldwide from my office, and it's a pleasure to do so. Today we have a show lined up for you. We're going to talk about Jude. We're going to let our first guest equip our minds with Jude. Then we're going to go into our imagination segment, and we're going to let our our regular Imagineer guide us more through uh, using our imagination, exciting that imagination, learning how to use your your mind and your heart in in service to others by letting God's word shape that and shape those uh, those attributes, those those facilities, those faculties. That's the word I'm looking for. The faculties that you've been given, your members, your imagination is one of those members that you give thanks for. And then at the very end of the show, we will also comfort the soul because this is what we do on Cross Defense. This is the show where we equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul all with God's word. And we do it for a particular reason. Why? Well, because we have a fierce foe out there, a fierce foe, and our only defense is Christ on the cross. So let's get into it. Today's show, our guest for this first segment is the Reverend Willie Grills, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Mattoon, Illinois. And he joins us to teach us about the book of Jude. How are you, Pastor? Doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on here. Looking forward to talking to you about Jude. Uh, great book. A lot of lot of meat in a very, very small number of verses. So, <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you. And I'm super excited that you wanted to walk us through. Uh, for the listener's sake, you know, I I asked the guests what what they're already looking at, what they're studying, what they would like to lead us through, uh, mainly so that they're not burdened with another task. Um, and I want them to come on the show. So it's very pragmatic. I just I, I want to capture them and give them as few excuses as possible to get out of coming on this show. Um, but I was excited, Willie, when you said Jude, I was thinking, yes, this is this is one of those books we just don't spend very much time in. We, it, you know, it's in the back. It's it's kind of squeezed between everything else. And it's just, I'm excited. Thank you so much. And let's dive into it. We have, uh, we got about 16 minutes left of this 18 minute segment before we go to our first break. What can you teach us from the book of Jude? Well, Jude is a very timely book. Um, it is a warning to Christians to avoid false teachers. And it's really, it's really a primer on how to recognize false teachers. It's written possibly as early as the mid-50s, which is interesting. Uh, some people want to put it a little bit later, but uh, we don't have time to go into all the reasons. But I do believe that it's written before Second Peter. Second okay. Peter seems to borrow heavily from Jude, which nothing wrong with that. Biblical authors borrow from each other all of the time. But it is a warning against false teachers and false prophets. It's, it's a warning against those those false guides who pop up within the church. A fascinating book. It borrows from some uh, apocryphal literature. You have quotes from the Assumption of Moses and from the book of Enoch in here. Wow. Uh, so there's all kinds of little side roads that you can take. It has a bit of an, an apocalyptic flavor to it, which is very fun. Uh, but one of the things you'll notice as you get into just the very beginning of Jude is well, okay, it follows kind of the standard um, biblical epistle model. You've got a purpose of the letter, greeting, so on and so forth. 
Um, so Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And so he says, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I find it necessary to write, appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago was designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's an interesting form of argumentation he takes, because it is, for all intents and purposes, an ad hominem attack that, okay. he, that he levels against them. It's not a theological treatise, and this does show us that even logically— uh, ad hominem does not have to be a fallacy if used correctly, uh -huh. because in this case he is showing that by their moral failings here, they are proving that they are not legitimate teachers. They're proving by their fruits that they're false teachers, which is interesting. It's not a theological treatise quite like what you get in other epistles. Sure, And sure. I find that interesting. Now, that is not... Uh, me saying to go out and just begin insulting your opponents or anything like that, although we read a lot of Luther, maybe. But um, but nevertheless, it is an interesting way uh, uh, to approach this. And, and he does this because it is so important, because people's souls are at stake here. People are being led astray, being led into all kinds of wicked things. We're not entirely sure what the error is here, but we think it's a very early form of Gnosticism. Okay. So it can't be full-blown Gnosticism, but the early rumblings of it. Okay. So and that's, that's generally what he's writing against. That's the yeah. that's the issue at hand. Right. Okay. So you and and you know what exactly the form it's taking at this point we don't know, but it, it's probably your your typical people claiming you know some kind of esoteric knowledge, some type of deeper insight, those sorts of things. And that's this verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly yes. people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny yeah. our only master. That's that, right? What we're talking about yeah. there? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, pretending as if the flesh, and this is why we think this, is pretending as if the flesh doesn't matter how you use the body that God has given you is not important, according to these people, apparently. Um, they're merely using their positions within the church as a way to gratify their flesh. Okay, interesting language here that just maybe, for the listener's sake out there, just kind of maybe rubs them a little, not wrong, but odd. You know, hearing this language of pervert the grace of our God, right away, you have this pervert language, right? But then into sensuality, which further brings it into the flesh, this, this fleshly issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to think of how you can twist the grace of God, this makes me think of Paul and, uh, you know, are we to sin that grace may abound kind of a thing or, you know, this, are we to tempt God right. into this kind of a thing and keep on sinning more? No, don't buy off. Don't do that. Right. Is that what we're right. dealing with? That same kind of, um, uh, some of this, because that's a natural inclination. If you preach a, a gospel of truly free forgiveness, you can, fall on the other side of that ditch into kind of a lasciviousness Okay. to say, well, you know, the kind of the idea that, well, works don't contribute to my salvation. So how could works harm my salvation? Right. 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 As right. if there are no consequences, which the scriptures um, reject. I mean, sure. the scriptures clearly teach that we can fall into things that pull us away from God. And it's a, it's a stark reminder. Um, 
it's going to become evident uh, even more kind of what's going on here. Jude is going to have a lot of biblical illusions. Okay. Uh, a very interesting thing here in verse 5. He says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now we're reading out of the ESV here, and they borrow from the manuscript that actually says, Jesus who saved. And so the other translations tend to use the Lord who saved. But I kind of like this here because it explicitly, in using Jesus, it explicitly identifies him with Yahweh. Okay, yeah. Or Jehovah, yeah. whatever your preferred word is there. So it, it's, in no uncertain terms, Jesus was the one who was there in Egypt with the Hebrews. Um, Good stuff, yeah. And then, oh, here's the very end. This is the question. This is what people always want to know about. And the angels who did not stay within their own or their own positions of authority, but left their pro proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And we find this in Second Peter chapter two as well. This idea of who are these angels who are bound? And we have two options here. The first option are the ones who rebelled before the fall of humanity. Okay. So the ones who were led by Satan out. There's the other theory that these are the sons of God who sinned in Genesis 6. Mm. And that's when you get into stories about the Nephilim and giants and things like that, um, which might be another uh, Book of Enoch connection, if that's what is meant here. I tend to think this that the angels who are bound are the ones who rebelled from the beginning, but I can entertain the other option too, just because it's fun to... To, to talk about. <laughs> Are there any dangers that we need to be aware of as we consider these two options? Well, if you go with the Nephilim route or the sons of God route, um, you can kind of go off into some odd territory. Okay. You need to be careful of the sources that you look at because very quickly you could end up in just esoteric sources okay. or people who are not really interested in any kind of orthodoxy. So you just want to be careful with that kind of thing. And especially if it leads you to read something like the Book of Enoch, you know, read that with a discerning mind. Okay, so um, the I danger there is uh, sort of a, a fant fantastic. You can get drawn into the fantastic. You can get drawn into the fantastic. And I think that initially that's fine. I think it's good to be Excite the imagination about those things. Yeah, and, <laughs> and there's more reality inside fantastic things than we want to admit. In the right. Christian church nowadays. And uh, and yet, we we want to be grounded in the scriptures and grounded in, say, what, how the church fathers use these books, things like that, so that we don't really go off the skids and right. into some crazy stuff. I don't want you to, to, like, listen to Cross Defense and then two weeks later you're buying crystals or something like that. <laughs> oh, so. great. Yeah. I, could, you know, I already started this little thing on my—no uh, one—five people are seeing it, my, my family and two more— um, <laughs> this thing I've been posting, make them use dirty words. And then I put mm -hmm. the dirty word like Christian. Right. And so they've been asking like, what are you doing, dad? What is, make them use dirty words? Why are you posting that on Instagram? Like, well, you know, the world is so upside down that the word Christian now is a dirty word. And I told him I was going to explain that on cross defense because people are going to start thinking I'm encouraging you know, <laughs> Christians to go off and, and use curse words or whatever. Well, now, thanks, Willie. People are going to think, you know, not only am I doing that kind of stuff, but I'm also leading them into, uh, you know, buying crystals and getting in right. touch with Well, them. you know, uh, on the Word Fitly Spoken podcast, um, 
don't mean to plug here, but we do oh, have several it. episodes where we talk about esoteric things and uh, <laughs> supernatural things and, and how a Christian ought to approach them. So, and hey, go ask your pastor too. He'll give yeah, you there a, you go. He'll tell you. He'll tell you what hippie stores to avoid. I think. Yeah, you, you hear it here on Cross Defense. Go verify it with your own pastor. That's why God put him in your in your church. That's why he's there. Absolutely. Don't listen to us. Uh, go <laughs> go, right. go well, talk listen to, to us man. for the next you know half hour or so. <laughs> yeah. After that, go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. Good. And thanks for the clarification. So take us further into the text. Yeah, so we have, uh, so there's the angels there. And then he says in verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. If I may be a little bit provocative here, Ty. Yeah, please. Um, one of the common things that we hear today is that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah had nothing to do with sexual immorality as much as it did with inhospitality, so that they weren't being hospitable. But yeah, threatening to assault their guests in the way they did, I suppose, is inhospitable. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but I think that uh, Jude makes it clear that uh, their unnatural desires here are are really what it's about. There is that a is that an actual common uh, argument now that it's about hospitality? Is that a thing? Yeah, you hear that. You hear that oh from my people. Goodness. Yeah, because they're <laughs> uncomfortable with, you know, they'll what they'll want to say is, well, they're uncomfortable with the Old Testament God. But as we just saw in verse five, that's Jesus. You're right. So you can't say there's two gods. You know, we, we have like the nice pictures of Jesus, uh, you know, holding like a baby lamb or gently knocking on a door. Well, he's also the one who rained fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, too. <laughs> right. uh, well, we're, we're going to have to move along because we got about five minutes. Right. So take us further. Right. We're going to rush through here. Yeah. Um, so like manner, uh, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious one. So they're they're blaspheming angels they're blaspheming the things that God uh, did so they're they've risen up in the church and now they're denying everything the church uh, stands for. And as I read through this, it's important to I think remember verse six when it talks about the angels not staying within their own proper positions. As the angels step down from their heavenly abode, if we step outside the ark of the church, we'll find ourselves bound like those rebellious angels are, and we'll find our own minds corrupted because we're taking in all of these things contrary to what was handed down to us. And so we'll either find ourselves as victims of these false teachers or, heaven forbid, ex uh, we'll become these false professors ourselves. Wow. And we don't want to have that. No. So um, I'm going to skip a, a little bit because we'll get bogged down in the archangel Michael contending with the devil for Moses' body um, and things like that. Um, but what happens is... Uh, the devil is contending for the body of Moses. Michael rebukes the devil in this way, saying, the Lord rebuke you. And so with everything, it's by the word and power of God uh, that we're able to do things. But these false teachers keep uh, twisting everything. So, and I know we've got a few minutes here, but we've got to pick up on these biblical uh, yeah, references. So, sure. woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of Balaam's era, uh, error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, we all know the story of Cain and Abel, and uh, murderous uh, destroyer of life. Balaam's error, uh, he was ready to abuse the gifts that he had for the sake of gain, okay? And then Korah's rebellion, so Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, 
uh, rise up against Moses and Aaron in rebellion, and then kind of the climax of that story is the earth opens up and swallows them. Yeah, so he's using these biblical examples that would be very clear to them, that he is identifying these false teachers with these great stories of sin. He calls them hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. So they're coming to the Lord's table without any any caution, any care. And they're there, they're appearing pious, they're appearing wise, but it's like a ship. You are like a ship who doesn't see the hidden reef and so they reef and so they can crash. You know? Wow. Wow. Um, so there's this so, communion aspect here as we're talking yes. about the feasts and Yeah, and I do believe that love feast here is referring to the Eucharistic banquet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could say, okay, there was a, a broader meal attached to it, but for all intents and purposes, it's focusing on the Eucharist here, focusing on the Lord's Supper. Uh, there are waterless clouds, uh, clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea. So they're, they're presented as these dead and dying things, but the things that he obviously sees, and if you have eyes to see, you can see this too, they're these frothing, you know, tormented creatures, and yet at the same time, they've crept in unaware. And so Jude is simply telling us to open our eyes and is look the, around and see. Is the twice dead reference there, is that the, you know, the, to die the second death kind of language? Is that what we're dealing with? Um, I don't think that there, no, second death here. I think this is just referring to the extent of their spiritual state. Okay, all right. They're dead in their trespasses and sins still, they're, they're, and their hearts are hardened. Okay. Is what I would, is what I would say here. But the Lord comes with 10,000 of his angels, he's quoting Enoch here, to execute judgment and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds and the ungodliness they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, being, being the Lord there. So how, much, how are we doing on time? We've got about 30 seconds. So if you want to come back for another show, yeah. we, can, we can pick up. We've got about halfway through the book almost. Right. Well, if definitely, you want to come back yeah. for a second segment, we can do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to finish on a on a happier, on a li- not a lighter note. But yeah, let's do that. Let's. Note. Yeah, right. and then yeah. we'll come back and we'll we'll hit everything we missed in the you know next next show. All right, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So, give us uh give us something. Let, wrap it up. We got. Uh, <laughs> All right. You got thirty so, seconds. So Jude assumes this that okay. you're a Christian. You know the scriptures. You've been catechized and taught. You ought to be able to recognize these things. He's going, to get, he's going to show you how to recognize these people, and he's going to show how to insulate yourself from their errors, how to be built up uh, in the faith. That's going to be his admonishment to us in the last few verses of the book, to build one another up, to build ourselves up. And so we can talk about just how we do that um, next time. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you, brother. As well, listeners out there in Radio Land, you've been he- listening to the pastor, Willie Grills. If you like what you're hearing here on the on the uh, topic of Jude, please come back next show. Stay tuned. You'll be, uh, you'll be able to listen to more of Jude. In the meantime, you can check him out on Word Fitly Spoken, the uh, podcast he and his, his cohorts have going on. The great content over there. And uh, yeah, they'll be on next time. Don't go uh, too far away from the cross defense universe because you're going to want to hear more about the book of jude we'll be right back for our second segment you're listening to cross defense ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states 
If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. We're back for segment two on today's Cross Defense. We have with us, as you would expect, our resident Imagineer, our expert on the imagination. I kind of feel bad, Sam. We, we <laughs> tap your mind for this one topic when you are a brilliant theologian in your own right for other things, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're not just the Imagineer. I just want Thank to you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> you also preach law and gospel and give the goods to your people in all kinds of other areas, too. So, hey, but we here at Cross Defense, we are uh, we are privileged to have you excite our imagination. So Absolutely. last week we talked about uh, we kind of gave a little teaser that we come back this week and talk about the Psalms. Uh, we talked a little bit about King David last week, and uh, as we were talking about the fall and the imagination being corrupted and things like this. So, what are we gonna what are we gonna look at today exactly in terms of the imagination? Yeah, I think uh, well, like you said uh, last week, we kind of gave a good segue into this week to look at uh, look at the Psalms and the imagination. And you know, there's a we could probably spend hours, days, you know, episodes <laughs> and episodes uh, on on that topic alone. Sure. So I tried to, as I was thinking about it yesterday, I was uh, kind of looking through the concordance a little bit, looking at the words of imagination uh, and images and imagined and that kind of thing in the Psalms. And that kind of uh, one thought led to another, as it often does. You know, things kind of they kind of snowball or they sort of they gather steam all those good uh, metaphors right and uh, so uh, but as I was thinking I was like I kind of I put together I wrote down like five little notes of things it's sort of five ways that we can see uh, the Psalms and the imagination together and so I want to I want to look at those five things and before I kind of what I want to do is just mention those quickly each what they are and then we'll try to go through them a little bit too at the same time Great. But I, I mean, I think one of the reasons we love the Psalms so much, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, too. I mean, that could be its own topic someday, too. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons is that there are there are so many ways in which the Psalms speak to our imagination, right, where God uses his word in the richness of the Psalms, the language, uh, when it's set to music, you know, the imagery, the poetry, um, just all of the illustrative words, you know, the, the words of God that he's giving us. But the Psalms, I think, I mean, all of the scriptures do this, but sometimes in a very unique way, uh, they give us, you know, they, they really call it, God is calling us to use our imagination in reading, in hearing, in singing, in praying the Psalms, um, you know, to put ourselves in the psalmist position, but then also to recognize these are God's words to us too. So that we, you know, I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about how the Psalms are God's word to us, but they're also then we are kind of our prayers and our songs and our really you know, the breath of life and faith back to him, back to God as well. We, we're basically saying back to God what he's given us in his word uh, when we pray the Psalms. And I think the imagination is an important part of that, right? and especially when it comes to the Psalms, because of the kind of language that's used. So, uh, so here quickly, I'm just going to go over kind of uh, give little bullet points. What are these five things I'm talking about here? All well, right. All right. First one is when you look at the Psalms in particular, right, there's a, there's a contrast between man's 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 imagination, right, or our sinful use of the imagination rather, and then God's kind of gracious gift of the imagination. So we'll look at that one first. Okay. Uh, it, also in the Psalms, you know, the language God uses is 
imaginative language. Right? So we want to look at you – know, maybe spend a moment or two on that, at least give a few examples for people to look it up further. Uh, the third kind of thing that I discovered or I don't know, learned or uh, unpacked or looked at, um, well, I, we'll call it for lack of better words, sort of the, uh, the two natures of the imagination, uh, mm. sort of the two natures of – uh, of scripture goes along with that too, uh, you know, sort of divine and human gifts at the same time. So the imagination plays into that part too. Um, th there's a beautiful pattern uh, in in this God, in this gift of the imagination in the Psalms as well. Um, you know, kind of in that prayer receiving and responding sort of um, way that we were talking about here a minute ago. Uh, and then last but not least, of course, I think the, the most important is uh, that the Psalms call us to use our imaginations to see Christ. And, uh, you know, just like we would in all the scriptures, because Jesus talks about this, you know, in Luke 24 and all the other places where we hear uh, the, the Christ-centeredness of scripture, um, all of those places require our imagination to help interpret and use too. But the Psalms in particular, and the Psalms, of course, are a great way. That's, that's another reason, I think, why we, why we love them so much, is that they not only uh, call our imagination uh, in service of God's word, but they also – Call our imagination and point our, you know, our whole being, you know, mind, body, soul, eyes, ears, and all our members, right? Uh, you know, our imagination and our reason, and point it to Christ. So, uh, let's circle back to number one real quickly here, just kind of by way of a by way of a contrast, right? So, one of it's kind of funny when you look through the concordance in the word imagine or imagination, and uh, you look in the Psalms, almost all of them, at least in English, and I didn't do a whole lot of digging into into Hebrew words or Greek words in the uh, Septuagint and fun things like that. That's I'll do that another day because I, I want to do it. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> we're coming into Advent. I mean, what can we ask of you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what that's one of those things you know word nerds like us like to do. So you know, one of these days it'll happen. Yeah, just not during Advent necessarily. <laughs> Um, but in the English, when you look up imagine or imagination in the Psalms, it's almost always bad. <laughs> it's almost really? always negative. Yeah, I thought, oh, well, that doesn't really bode well for a <laughs> topic on imagination. But then I started to think, I thought, well, what's the context of that, right? You know, look at the good old context question. And most of the time, it's because man is using his sinful fallen imagination in, well, as we would expect – also in sinful fallen ways, like we talked about in the last segment, how man's imagination can be used for great good, but also great evil and wickedness. So oftentimes this is what happens. A uh, quick example of this, right? Uh, this is sort of man's sinful use of the imagination as depicted by the Psalms, right? Uh, so Psalm 2, uh, really part of verse 1 is one of the interesting uh, words there, right? Uh, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Right? And the Psalm goes on to talk about sort of the kings of the earth and how the Lord is the the real and true king, and uh, you know the, the kings and rulers of the earth kind of plot in vain and uh, plot against, against, especially against the Lord and His anointed, right? It's Christ. Uh, that, that word "plot" there is another one of those imagination words that we right. talked about the last several times. That yetzer yetzar, uh, Hebrew word for you know, plotting, forming, right? creating a mental image of, in this case. Uh, rage <laughs> and evil, right? So again, not a very positive thing of a man's gift of the imagination there, but but it's a good example of what sinfulness does to, to God's gifts, right? Uh, on the other hand, you hear – now, you may not hear the word imagine or imagination used about God in the Psalms, but I think from all of the, the picture, picturesque language and the illustrative language and the, you know, the metaphors, symbols, and all these kinds of things the Psalm brings out, God is definitely giving us sort of a window into his imagination and calling us to use ours in a good way. 
uh, when we read the Psalms. And a good example of that is uh, Psalm 144. So I'm trying to get there. Okay. I, could just, I should just say it from memory. But anyway, I don't want to mess it up. So, I understand. Uh, Psalm 144, verse 1 and, uh, and 2. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. And so you know, the psalmist is describing God there, right? the Lord, Yahweh, his rock and our rock. And you know, David is the psalmist here in, in this case. And But you know, listen again to those, those descriptions of God. Right? He, he is a fortress. He's a stronghold. He's a shield. He's a refuge. Those are, you know, those aren't abstract words. Those are, those are words that call to mind, you know, maybe the the temple or the palace or these, you know, fortresses of old. Maybe if you're, you know, if you're into castles and things like in Western Europe, you, you think of, you know, I don't know, Neuschwanstein or some some kind of big famous castle. Maybe the Wartburg with Luther, right? Uh, you, you have those images Cinderella's in your head as you're reading castle. it. Absolutely. Yep. Tangled, maybe the tower, right? Like something like that. <laughs> That's the limit to my na- name. Of, I mean, I was impressed with whatever word you just came out of your mouth, the name of the castle. German. Yeah. yeah, I was impressed. Uh, I just <laughs> know it is Disneyland's castle. Right. Uh, Cinderella's. Yeah. Can, I right. don't know. Sleeping Beauty's castle, <laughs> the Magic Kingdom. Look at this yeah. guy. That- <laughs> um, but you know, that's that's God's gift of, of the imagination being – well, I think, again, he's giving it to us in his word and speaking to us in terms and words that we can understand. But then he's also calling us to use our imagination to, you know, when we think of God as strong or protective, um, he could say, yeah, I'm strong and I'm mighty. But he gives David the psalmist the words you know, of a fortress and a, you know, a stronghold and a shield, right? These, the, these very militant images uh, to describe his you know, to describe a theological reality for him. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So there's that contrast in the Psalms, right? Sometimes sometimes it's man's wickedness on display in the imagination. But on the other hand, we see God's gift of the imagination and then, you know, our use of it in both, both in, you know, writing it and also in, you know, and then singing it or praying it, however it may be after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Great, great contrast there. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, that that kind of leads into the second point, uh, which is that you know in the Psalms, right? God uses our language, right? Well, I mean Hebrew initially, but now we have you know thanks to translation and so forth, we we can read it in English, or you know if you if you know German well enough, or Latin, or whatever it is, uh, you can read it in your own you're in your own tongue, in your own language, and the language God uses in the Psalms again also calls us to use our imaginations, right? Uh, it's poetry, there's prose, there's all sorts of you know fun things like similes and metaphors, there's images, right? There's illustrations. You know, God could simply say, again, like kind of like he did in Psalm 144, oh, I'm strong, right? Or he could say, I love you. And he does, and those are good things, right? Or I he could say, I care for you. But sometimes he does it uh, in a very imaginative, very poetic kind of way, like in a very popular, well-known psalm, Psalm 23, right? right. Uh, you know, God could say, I care for you and, and love you, and he does, and he does say that in very clear, explicit ways, and the psalm is another way of doing that. It just happens to be using poetic, imaginative language, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, that's that's a powerful image, even though we're a little bit removed from shepherding days, most of us, you know, <laughs> at least that we live, you know, if we live in more urban areas, but Still, that image is comforting right? um, because it's not just an image. It also speaks to 
who God is, right? who Jesus is as you know, we see that fulfillment in the Gospels of Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So there's something about that when I mean, not just I mean, we want to definitely get through all these five points, but something about that yeah. idea that, you know, you could just say something directly out, just get out with it and say it. And that gets the point across. But then you can also yep. come around and you can say it in a way that gives texture and tone and color to it. And mm -hmm. that in some instances delivers the message more thoroughly even though you don't directly say the exact words you're, you're conveying, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think we, we see a good example of this in non-biblical literature, right? In just, uh, you know, fictional literature in uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, right? And right. he talks about this when he's writing it, that he wanted to, uh, he wanted to kind of sneak past people's watchful dragons and really paint the same story in a similar way. But in a, you know, in a, in a way that wasn't, didn't feel like sitting in, in a pew and looking at stained glass windows. He had nothing wrong with that. That wasn't the problem. The problem was he just thought, you know, different people have different ways of receiving the information and perceiving the world around them. And stories can do, you know, imagination can do that very well. So, you know, that's why you have Aslan, you know, the, the Christ figure, right? Um, right. Supposing, supposing in this, you know, magical world, um, if there was a savior, like in our real world, what would that look like? It looks like, looks like Aslan, looks like Narnia, those kinds of things, right? Yeah. yeah in our, in our Psalms, that, our, the Psalm book, have often been been called you know the hymn book of the Bible, right? Because right. and, and you start thinking of hymns, you start thinking of songs, and I mean songs are not you know dictionary in, inserts, right? We're not just right. defining words. Uh, this, right. they're, they're metaphors, they're beautiful language, they're all these things that you were already talking about, and they're used in that poetic way that's really showing us something with the the heart, that member of our body, right? right? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Great. So yeah, imaginative language. That, what else? Uh, yeah, speaking to that left, you know, that left brain reality, right? And and I think that's one of the great things about not only the Psalms but the Scriptures, just all over the place, right? God speaks to both, both sides of our brain, and sometimes we. We may think we're one more right-brained or left-brained or whatever, but it doesn't really matter because God is going to – God's word comes to you both ways, right? exactly. all of the above, yes. right? Amen. Uh, it, it's a good thing. Right? Um, yeah, the next point I, I wanted to look at or kind of explore a little bit was uh, – I mentioned this in the beginning that kind of the, what we call two natures of the imagination or you know, – it's kind of like the scriptures, right? The scriptures are right, divine, inspired, God's word. Right? They come from, from God. He, he is the source. Right? He is the giver of his word. And yet at the same time, he uses humans, right? He uses David to write psalms. He uses the sons of Korah, right? There's Moses who has a couple of psalms that he wrote. And there's anonymous psalmists too. We just don't know their name anymore. But he uses very human, real, tangible people to do this too. And, and you know, the imagination is kind of that way too, right? It's, we talk about it out of scripture as one of the parts that is part of us and who we are. But that comes from God too, just like the rest of our creatureliness, right? Sure. Um, and yet it's also a very human thing too. So yeah, we're not talking about quite the two natures of Christ here, right? That's a different theological distinction here, but there's, there is kind of a sort of a two natures of scripture sort of thing, right? It's divine and yet God uses human instruments to bring it to us, right? Words, language, kind of the previous point we were talking about. Um, and yet, right? And yet again, um, it's all the while it's God's inspired word. Um, a, a really cool example of this from the Psalms is Psalm 22, right? Very famous Psalm 
uh, we often pray it and hear it and maybe even sing it uh, during Holy Week uh, because Jesus is the one who prays this psalm uh, on the cross. Right? And we, we often think of it as a, as a psalm of um, you know, foretelling his in, in explicit detail his death, and it is. But if you keep going to the rest of the end of the psalm, there's also this, this glorious resurrection, this vindication of, uh, of God's anointed one, right, of Christ himself. So he's praying it, you know, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing all the while, the end of the psalm is talking about his deliverance, talking mm. about our deliverance through him. And, and so, you know, Psalm 22, yes, it's God's word. He inspires David to write it. And yet on the cross, it also becomes Christ's word. And then Christ gives it to us to pray to him as well, right? This, this beautiful back and forth right, yes. between God giving us his word, us responding. And that's really, that's kind of the next point there too, right? Is that God gives us his creatures, his gifts. And then, uh, you know, and one of those gifts is our imagination, and then like the psalmist, we use that gift to point back to him, to glorify him, to point others to him, right? to basically say – kind of like we do in prayer. Right? We say back to God what he's already said to us. And uh, so there's that, there's that pattern, kind of like we see in worship. right? Uh, God gives and we receive and then we respond in thanksgiving. And I think the imagination kind of comes alongside all of that right? and, and really is a – well, like Luther says about hymns right? uh, and music, it is a handmaiden to the gospel. I think – the imagination is a handmaiden to the gospel too, especially when we read the Psalms, right? And this point four, the beautiful pattern of receiving and responding very nicely also fits in with the contrast between man's fallen imagination and Definitely, God's gracious yeah. imagination, the way the redemptive, the redemption that our exactly. imagination receives. Right? Yeah, because if our if our sinful if all we know of our imagination is sinful fallenness, um, we have to have our imagination fed from somewhere that's good, right, and holy. Yeah, right? yeah. And so you know, God's word is is the chief source where that comes from, right? Um, obviously, there's other good things in creation He gives us to feed our imagination, but the chief one being His word, right? Especially then His word that becomes flesh for us. You know, and all the Psalms, all the Psalms point us to Christ. And and one of the great things about reading the Psalms with our imagination sort of, you know, clicked on or put it into fifth gear, right, uh, is that we're going to see, we're going to hear, we're going to, you know, use our imaginations, uh, and God's going to put those to work in service of seeing Christ there, right? Um, you know, so all over the place, right? He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He's the rock and fortress of Psalm 144, right? He's the, the one who roots us in him in Psalm 1 so that we're... That, that man who was blessed and uh, rooted in uh, in Christ and and all those images right Psalm 46 uh, mighty fortress right uh, Luther got that Psalm inspired his hymn well all of those things right all those images all those words they're all really describing in the end God's graciousness in Christ so the, the imagination there again is that that handmaiden to point us to Jesus all along it's all about Jesus thank you so yes. much again Pastor Schulteis hey, appreciate it. It's amazing to have our imaginations excited. I had a, a listener reached out to me and said he'd never thought about the imagination in the terms that we've been discussing, the way you've been guiding us to see that the imagination is a member that has a purpose. And in this world, you know, we want to make sure we receive the graciousness of God so that we can respond with that imagination in a good and wholesome way. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back for our third segment where we'll comfort the soul. You've been listening to Pastor Sam Schulteis from Beautiful Savior in Milton, Washington. We'll see you in just a second. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people in new places. Get ready to plow the fields. 
Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, we're back for our third and final segment of today's Cross Defense. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for sticking around through the entire show. We had some wonderful conversations with Reverend Willie Grills and Sam Schulteis out there in their parts of the world. And what they're doing is serving people with God's word and taking a little bit of extra time out of their day to serve us, to serve you with God's word as well. And I am super thankful for the pastors out there in the Missouri Synod who are willing to join us and do just that. Today, for this third segment, again, as we did last week, it's just me in the studio. And by studio, I mean my office here at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's just me today to comfort the soul. And, you know, that's fine. That's good. I, too, am a pastor. And that's what we're here to do is to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul all with God's word. Before we do that, just by way of reminder, if you want to reach out to me between Mondays, there's a number of ways you can do that. You can do it probably easiest through my contact page over at TyrellBramwell.com. Just click the contact page and send me an email. It'll go right into my email and I'll be able to see that. You can also direct message me on Instagram and you can do the same on Facebook. Over there on those two social media accounts, it is simply at Tyrell Bramwell or just type in you know Instagram.com forward slash Tyrell Bramwell. Same for Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Tyrell Bramwell. And you can engage with me on my wall, on my feed, direct message. However those services work, you can definitely find me there. You also can find my video content on YouTube. Just same thing. It's my name, Tyrell Bramwell. And uh, there you'll find different kinds of video. We used to have cross defense over on that show or over on that channel, excuse me. But um, lately we haven't. And I'm still wrestling around with whether we're, whether or not we should put cross defense on my YouTube channel or just keep it as this radio thing. I, I kind of like, actually, as I'm exploring this, I kind of like just keeping cross defense as the KFUO.org radio show and just maybe giving you a, a few clips or s sample segments over on YouTube, but not the full show. So we'll see how that works itself out. Uh, in the meantime, let's get back into a little comfort for our souls. <clears throat> you heard me reference, as I was talking with Re Reverend Willie Grills in the first segment, you heard me reference something that I've been doing on my Instagram stories. I just barely started, but I explained it as uh, we were talking about being bad influences on uh, listeners when we were talking about uh, you know getting crystals and all those those weird fantastic things. It, obviously, that was all in fun. Same thing with what I'm doing on Instagram. It's kind of a turn of phrase, a, a play on words. I've been posting stories with the uh, the phrase "make them use dirty words" or, or "make them say dirty words," and then giving the actual word that's dirty. So the first one I posted was make them say dirty words, Christian. Uh, most recently, make them say dirty words, confessional Lutheran. So you can already see what I'm doing here. Uh, it's a it's a spin on the idea. It's not actually a dirty word, but, and here's where we're gonna get into the comfort for our souls, for your souls. But in this world we live in today, at the end of 2020, indeed for a long time now, and I'm sure for a long time into the future, we live in a world that is upside down and backwards. We live in a world that is very much Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are certainly firmly in a culture that sees good as evil and evil as good. The world, the unbelieving world, sees what the Christian church teaches as horrendous atrocities, evil, that we would say there is one way to heaven, that there is only one way by which man is saved, Jesus Christ, that we would have the audacity to say such a thing is pure evil in the eyes of the world. Now, it's not evil. It is what is truly good. Our Lord has not left us in this broken snow globe we call the world, full of sin and corruption, death, where we contend against the devil. No, he has not left us there on our own, but ever since Genesis 3.15 with the first gospel, we know that he put forth a plan, put in motion a way to save us, to redeem us, to justify us and take care of our sin problem. That way, that solution is Jesus, our Christ. He is good and he makes us good as well. And so I want to tell you to recognize this. Let this be a comfort to you, to your soul, as you live in this world where things are upside down, topsy-turvy, backwards and inside out. The world may convince you, may try to convince you that you are wrong, that you are evil, that you are the darkness, you are the problem, that you are bitter. And that the way to enlightenment, the way to good things, the way to improvement, the way to utopia is to embrace the world's ways. To embrace what they call science and data. To embrace their, their social programs and their ideologies. To abandon God. And to seek your own happiness at all costs, whatever that may be. But you don't need to do that, my friends. No, make them say dirty words. Make the world know you are a Christian and here's how. So here, let's, uh, let's just take a second. We got some time in this last segment. Let me just take a second and read through some scripture passages that really explain what's behind this little cutesy, hashtaggy, soundbitey thing that I'm posting on my social media. Make them say dirty words. Make him call you a Christian. This is what scripture says. And it says it much better than I can in my little turn of phrase. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That which is truly good, my friend, that which is of the Lord, Make them say dirty words. Make them call you a Christian. Make them refer to you as a believer in Christ. Make the world use these words. Why does he do that? Because he's a Christian. Why wouldn't he do this? Because he believes in Jesus Christ. What do you think makes her say those things that she says I don't know. I think it has something to do with that Bible that she's always reading. Did you hear about what he's doing these days? Yeah. I think it's all because he's been going to that confessional Lutheran church. Put these dirty words into their mouths, my friends. Make them say dirty words. Scripture is pretty clear on how we are to live. How we can live in a way that will make the world use our vocabulary, that will make the world speak in a way that might just open their minds, might just give them pause. First John 1, 5 to 2, 17. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Those words are fairly familiar to most, I believe. Perhaps if you're a new 
listener, new to Lutheranism, new to Christianity, you might not recognize them. But for the Christian who's used to going to church, you hear those words on a regular basis. As you confess your sins and you hear that you are forgiven, absolved of your trespasses. We continue with with John, his first letter. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is also a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Be comforted, my friends. The true light is already shining. Christ Jesus has already come into the world. We have been forgiven. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not let the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, do not, excuse me, do not love the world or the things in the world, John says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Yeah, just like, just like Sandlot, forever abides forever. That's amazing. In second John, the, uh, the idea of make them say dirty words sounds like this. And this is love. He writes that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his, this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting for whoever greets him takes part in the wicked works, his wicked works. 
Make them say dirty words. Make them know that you don't stand for wicked works, that you don't go along with the world, that you're being transformed. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And now let me turn turn the, the page here, shift gears real quick, because we have about two minutes to make sure you understand that when I say make him say dirty words, make him use words that define you as a Christian, I'm not saying that you have to keep the law in order to earn your way to heaven. This isn't a this isn't a merits thing. This isn't do this so that you can merit holiness through through works that you're doing. But this is to say, make the good confession that you already have now as a baptized believer. The confession of faith in Christ that you have received. Live as who you are. This is, this is a word of encouragement that's spawned from your salvation. This is, this is a word that springs out of the baptismal font, motivated by the gospel. You are free in Christ to live for your neighbor, that they would know Jesus and his gracious work of salvation, that he is their savior just as he is yours. Make them say dirty words so they have Jesus Christ on their lips. It's because of the gospel. You have this joy set before you, the joy of living as a Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit, a baptized believer in Christ, nourished by the body and blood of Christ, forgiven. Rejoice, dear cross defense listener out there. Rejoice that you get to make the world use dirty words. Let them say Christian. Let them pronounce the words confessional Lutheran. Let them say the word baptized, forgiven, Bible, believer, justified, sanctified, redeemed, free. Let them say. Make them say. That dirtiest of dirty words, Jesus. Jesus Christ, crucified for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. He is your Savior. May your souls be comforted. This has been Cross Defense. Thanks for listening this past hour. Until next week, Christ be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.